0: Turn your Bibles tonight, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We'll start there, then we'll jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, I want to warn everybody that I've preached a few hundred sermons in Cambodian in the last few years, and only about three now in English, and so um, who knows what's going to happen here. So uh, just bear with me. Uh, I do find myself sometimes um, searching for words, so if I sound like I'm like, glitching out in my brain or something. Sometimes I'm just like, how do you say that again? And, uh, but I, I'll, I think I'll be good and into it back into English here in a few weeks. Not tonight, probably. But uh, Cambodian, uh, I guess anybody's language is like that. You know, you may like this, when you learn a new language, you make some mistakes here and there, and uh, I don't think that ever really stops completely, I guess, it hasn't for me, so. Um, it's been 20 years and it hasn't stopped for me. But uh, I'll share a couple of quick language uh, faux pas with you, and you may enjoy this. Basically, just to remind you to pray for your missionaries, especially when they're learning the language, and then also especially when they're not learning the language, they're just using the language that they already learned. So, in other words, just don't stop praying this all the time, amen. And also to be uh, to be generous and gentle and gracious with. Uh, preachers sometimes we slip up and we say the wrong thing. Uh, I think even when you're just preaching in your regular old native tongue, you do that sometimes, right? So um, when I was first learning the Khmer language, uh, if I say Khmer, that's, that's that's how we say Cambodian in Cambodian. It's called Khmer. The people are called Khmer and the language is called Khmer. Or you can say Cambodian. Either one is, is accurate and fine. Uh, when I was first learning Khmer, uh, I learned so many words that sounded so much alike to me and uh, that can cause a lot of trouble sometimes when you're preaching. In fact, I, re- I remember when I fir- before I was even preaching, I was just asked to lead singing and I went and I was going over the songs for the church service with the piano player and uh, let me let me throw out two words and you tell me if they sound similar, okay? One is prepat and one is prepot. Do those sound close to you? Prepat, prepot. Okay. So um I, I was I was going over the song the piano players over here this is before the service thankfully no one was there yet it was just me and her and uh, I'm leading the songs and I'm singing along and I'm singing about pre, I'm singing about pre-pot, prepot 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 because prepot I thought was the true God that's what's in the song that's prepot prepot is Buddha and uh, so <laughs> the nice piano pia, uh, the nice piano player said um let me, let me give you a suggestion here on these words because it's kind of coming out a little bit wrong. So, uh you gotta be careful. Um, but let me give you a couple more words. How about these two words? Um, see if these sound similar to you. Uh, k'uit and "chkuit." Do those sound similar to you guys? Am I the only one? Ka'uit and chukuit. Okay. So, uh, this is probably inappropriate. I hope you'll forgive me, but ka'uit, ka'uit means to vomit. And, uh, so we had a, a young boy in our church. This was right at the beginning of, of our church. And so this is like one of the first families we reached. And he had been having a stomach virus. He had been in the hospital. So we had our midweek prayer meeting and I asked his, past, I asked his father if his son, were, and I didn't ask him privately, I asked him publicly during the service. <laughs> I asked him, is your son still, still k'uot? Is your son still vomiting? Only I didn't say k'uot, I said k'uot. And in essence, what I said was, is your son still stupid? And so, uh, you know, you just never know what's going to come out when you're uh, learning new, new language stuff. So if your pastor says anything like that, just give him a break. He probably didn't actually mean to say that. I know I didn't that time. And it doesn't seem to get, uh, it gets better, but it doesn't go completely away. Uh, I, about a year or so, maybe two years ago, I was preaching on Saul chasing David and, uh, David was hiding in a in a what a cave yeah I thought I was saying that for several times I thought I was saying that until about five times into saying that I realized I was actually saying David was hiding out in a movie theater and so uh, whatever Uh, thankful for gracious church members amen that uh, I, I do have this one mother and daughter they're not gracious. I love them. They've been there since the very beginning. And but they're they're both adults. They just laugh the whole time. They laugh and laugh and I if I say something wrong, they laugh. The rest of the church tries to get my attention and re- correct me. They, these two just look at each other and die laughing. So bless their hearts. Amen. But uh, anyway, hopefully we'll we'll not have any language glitches tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to read a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 5 to kind of uh, get into what I want to share tonight. Then we'll jump to Second Corinthians 10. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure that you, um, I'm sure that you will be familiar with it. If as soon as I start to read it, if you're not already familiar with it, by calling out the reference, beginning in verse number 17, a great verse, a verse that every Christian should have committed to memory. Shortly into your Time as a believer. Therefore, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, a lot of times we use that verse to talk, and I don't think it does any disservice to the verse. We use that verse to talk about sanctification and the great change that is to come upon the life of a person who is saved, who is in Christ. And uh, the way that uh, if things are still the same as they were before, you know, there's a problem. And that when we have uh, things in our background and in our life that are that are ungodly and displeasing to the Lord and sinful, those things are supposed to be, uh, those things are supposed to be laid aside and all things are become new. So we use that verse for that. But it's interesting that this verse goes on not to talk about so much about sanctification and about the ceasing of sin and about uh, uh, becoming more holy. But what this actually is, context of this is talking about the ministry that God gives us as believers of reconciling other men and women to God. Go on and read in verse 18, right after it says, all things are become new. It goes on to say, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of of reconciliation. So we're we're just one verse down from all things becoming new, and we're seeing that the context of that verse is this ministry of reconciliation. I I would like to suggest to you tonight that one of the things that becomes new in the life of a believer is your purpose for life. One of the things that becomes new is how you would spend your time. One of the things that becomes new is, is how you see other people. One of the things that becomes new is really everything. And here the Bible says that God has given to us a ministry. Now let's read in verse 19 about this. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In verse number 19, essentially it's the gospel in a nutshell, that uh, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and now he's given unto us, he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And now comes another one of those famous verses, I'm sure you all know it. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Connect that verse back to 17. Behold, all things are become new. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What that means is that before all things become new, you weren't an ambassador for Christ. You were an ambassador for yourself. Before you became a Christian, you weren't living for God. You were living for self. And that's not me picking on you. That's me telling you the truth of human nature. And so when we get saved, the Bible says all things become new. And in verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. I want you to focus on the little phrase in Christ's stead. The truth of the matter is that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he was in your stead and in my stead. The word stead simply means to be in someone's place. It's I think over a hundred times in the Bible that word is used. Uh, Most of those times are in the Old Testament where it would talk about a king reigning in the stead of another king. So one king dies or is defeated in battle, passes off the scene, and it talks about the next king reigned in his stead. And it's just simply an old English word that we don't use that much anymore, but it just simply means to be in someone's place. And the whole reason that you and I can be justified, the whole reason that you and I can not have our sins imputed unto us is because Christ died in our stead. When he was on the cross, he was on the cross in our place. It should have been you and it should have been me. As the song says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. And so Jesus was in our stead But here's kind of what he asks of us now. He asks us now to be in his stead on this earth. He was in our stead on the cross. And he says, now that you're in Christ... All things, the old things are passed away, all things are become new. Now you're an ambassador of mine, and from henceforth, we, we're not gonna read that verse, but there's another verse that talks about that you no longer live unto yourself, but live unto him that died for your sins. And so we see here that now we are in Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead to be you reconciled to God. And you know, everything we do with people, it's to be in the place of Christ. It is to be in Christ's stead. We love people. In God's place the church is the body of Christ the hands of Christ and the voice of Christ and the feet of Christ and the heart of Christ and so everything that we're to do is to be reaching out as if we are in the stead in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ now maybe that would bring you to a question okay but what does that mean in a practical sense how exactly am I uh, who and you can fill in the blank with whatever your occupation is or whatever your demographic is, your age, your your uh, marital status, uh, uh, maybe you're a student, maybe you're in college, maybe you you work a job, or maybe you're a, a housewife, or, or whatever the case may be, and you may say, how am I now supposed to be so involved in serving others and serving God uh, as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ? So I want you to turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to share something briefly that I think will be Uh, a help to you. The title of this message is simply this, Your Place in God's Plan. Your Place in God's Plan. Where do you fit into God's Plan? I believe that what I want to talk about is something that really can work for any and all people that are here tonight. Uh, Before we do that, before we jump into that, let me give you a quick English grammar lesson. All right, so how many of you like English grammar? Just raise your hand up. And how many of you not so much. Uh, like that was not your favorite subject in school. All right, so uh, hopefully all the English teachers here are looking around at your students and taking, taking note who you gotta come down on or teach a little harder or something next time you get them in class. But uh, English is not everybody's favorite, but uh, English is really important and it helps us to understand the Bible better. So I wanna teach you, if you don't know, many of you know already, of course, what a preposition is, a preposition. Now you've heard of prepositional phrases preposition. What is a preposition? Well a preposition is a word, usually a small word, but not always. But it's a word that shows the relationship between two things. So for example my Bible is laying on the pulpit. And the preposition there is on. The prepositional phrase is on the pulpit. And it shows the relationship between my Bible and this pulpit. Uh, or I could say that I am standing behind the pulpit. And so behind is the preposition. So on the pulpit, behind the pulpit, on the floor. All of these things are prepositions and they show the relationship of one thing to another. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in these three verses that I want to read we'll see three prepositional phrases where we will literally see how you and how I fit into God's plan. What is the relationship of the believer with the plan of God for reaching the world for the Lord Jesus Christ? And so I want to just jump right in into verse number 14. And it says here for we, and there's a a lot going on. This is actually a really complicated passage of Scripture. But for sake of time we're, we're not going to try to unpack all of what's going on in this passage. I'm not even going to start back. To get some of the context, but we're we're looking for three prepositional phrases that I think will help us tonight. Number 14, verse 14 says, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. So this is the Apostle Paul, of course, the writer of the book of Corinthians. This is the second epistle, the second letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he and those who work with him is the we here. We stretch not ourselves beyond our measure. That word measure basically just has to do with like the scope of their, uh, of their ministry. How far they reached. How far they've gone. How many people that they've reached with the gospel. So he says we boast not, or excuse me, we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. So he says here, I, I, I'm not trying to make myself into more than I am. I'm not trying to say, all oh, I've done this and this and this when I really haven't. Take credit for some other man's work. But he said, I will tell you this, we have come as far as to you with the gospel. And so the first one here, and if you're in the habit of marking or underlining in your Bible with a highlight or anything like that, uh, this would be three good phrases for you to mark in your Bible or write them down if you like. And it'll help us to understand our place in God's Uh, plan. The first prepositional phrase is found in verse 14 and it is the words to you. To you. That's right there in the middle near the end of of the verse number 14. For we are come as far as to you. Let me say something tonight that a heart for God and God's work and a heart for the world and a heart for the lost and a heart for missions always starts with a remembrance. It starts with a remembrance of what God has done for you. Now, if God hasn't done anything for you, and indeed you are not saved and you're not in Christ, you're going to have a very hard time kind of uh, uh, fabricating a heart for God. Now, you might jump on board and, and be a part of a group of somebody doing something. We've we've had that in the past with people who want to jump in and help pass out tracks or they want to go along, but their heart is not in it in the way that a true believer is. But I will also go further and say this, that a believer who is not constantly mindful and remembering about what the Lord did for them, they're not likely to take that on as their new life's purpose, their new life's goal, and their life's aim is just to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide. Why? Because it's not been that big of a deal to them to think about it, meditate upon it, dwell upon it, and remember it. Here we have Paul trying to remind them, listen, he says the gospel has come as far as to you. Now if you, want to fir- if you want to start to understand where you fit in God's plan, it all starts by remembering this. Somebody told you the gospel. The gospel has come as far as to you. I, I don't know about you, but I am so, so grateful and so, so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, by the way, He didn't have to die on that cross. That There was no sin of His own that nailed Him to that cross. He did every last bit of it out of love and out of compassion and out of kindness for you and for me. People who weren't good and people who didn't deserve it and people who were not some kind of a a great deal for him to come and, and ransom and purchase. People that were sinners. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And aren't you thankful that a holy God would be willing to give his life on the cross of Calvary for an unholy man like me and an unholy man or woman or boy or girl like you. And every time we stop to think about it, let me tell you something. It will help you to understand how big of a deal this is. If you'll take the time to go, wow, God saved me. The gospel came to me Jesus hung on that cross and he died and, and he was the sinless one I was the sinner he was the guilty one I, I was uh, he was the innocent one I was the guilty one he didn't deserve to be there I deserved to be there why would he do that and I, I can't answer that question and you can't answer that question and nobody can answer that question and I don't think we'll ever be able to answer that question for all of eternity I think that's one of the things that makes it such an amazing thing such a big thing such a huge thing is that we can say even in the end of time when we maybe hear the answers and learn about what God uh, never let us understand before. I think the love of God and why He would love us and why He would redeem us and why He would die on the cross, I think that's going to remain a mystery in our minds for all of eternity. I don't see any way that we could possibly. It makes no sense outside of just this one thing. Our God is an amazing God and a loving God, and a gracious God, and he sent his son, his only begotten son, to come down and die on the cross to save you. And by the way, I'm not only thankful that Jesus came, but I'm, you know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that a person came to tell me about it. Now, we, we could probably take uh, half the night and go through the room and ask you, who led you to Christ? who led you to Christ, who led you to Christ. And I hope you remember. I hope you know. I hope you're grateful for it. I hope it's not just a big shoulder shrug, a big, oh, big deal, a big, oh, ho-hum. I, I don't even remember. I hope it's something that you think about and that you dwell upon and that occasionally you you, you thank the person. I, I love that Pastor Thompson just moments ago said, hey, uh, I'm getting ready to celebrate. How many years? 30. 33 years as a Christian. I think it's awesome. Now, not everybody knows the exact day that they got saved, but if you do, that's a powerful thing to know and to meditate on. Make that a special day in your life and to maybe thank that person or those people. Sometimes it's more than one person who had an impact in reaching you. I I just ran into a person this morning at the church we were in this morning and she was telling how she grew up in Los Angeles and and really from a broken home and nobody cared about her and nobody loved her, but she said "A, a A man that was at a local church had a bus, and she said he would come by, and she said he loved us, and he took me and my siblings, and he took us to church, and him and the people that worked on the bus, they loved us, and they cared for us. And I'm telling you, that kind of a person with that kind of a tender heart is well on the way to finding out just exactly where they fit in God's plan, much more so than the person who just thinks it's all just a big snooze fest. It's just a big yawner. I, I, I don't know. You know, think about this. I, I think it would be awesome to track back your genealogy. Who told you about Jesus? Okay, go ask them. Who told you about Jesus? And then ask them. And, and, and you may not be able to go very far back. I know that my, my mother and my father, my dad was preaching. My mom de- dealt with me at the, al- at, the au- at the altar after church. And I got saved as a result of my mom and dad. My, my dad got saved in a Methodist church when he was a little boy. And I don't know where his roots go beyond that. My mother got saved uh, in a church service where a man maybe, maybe many of you have heard of, Lester Roloff, was preaching. And I wish sometime that I could find out who told Lester Roloff the gospel and who told that Methodist pastor the gospel and go back and back and back and back. I think it would be so awesome to know that because here's what happens. One person tells another and 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 and then eventually that person decides that they're going to let it stop with them. And that's a shame, isn't it? The Bible says that the gospel has come as far as to you. You're going to find what God wants for you to do if you start by remembering, hey, I'm glad that somebody cared enough about me to share the gospel. Now, let's quickly, let's look at the next one in verse number 15, and it says, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly now I, I think just in a nutshell i'm trying not to overcomplicate this but i i think what he's basically saying to the church is that we would like to be enlarged I don't think he means he's hoping they'll invite him to a potluck, that's one way to enlarge, amen, but uh, I think what he's saying is here, we want our numbers, we want our scope, we want our ministry, that we've tried to to reach out to many people, we want that number to be enlarged, just like your church desires to enlarge your reach, and our ministry and desires in Cambodia to reach more people, and so Paul comes to the church at Corinth there, and he says, uh, he says, we're not, we have hope that when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged. But why is it that he said, "When your faith is increased"? Because he's getting ready to teach them the second prepositional phrase that'll help you find your place in God's plan, and it is these two words: "By you." By you. Now, some of you thought a bayou was a little body of water in Louisiana somewhere, right? But no, this is a different bayou. So, by you in verse number 15 we read it again it says but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged we'll reach more people we'll see more done for the cause of christ by you according to our rule abundantly and so first we have the gospel came to you and now the gospel goes even further by you now suddenly we start to see that oh okay maybe it's not just about holding out my hand and getting something from somebody else Maybe it's about holding out my hand, getting something from somebody else, and then turning around and walking and distributing yet to someone else yet again. That's really what the Bible is teaching here. And so the, the, the phrase is, by you. Now, now what can that mean? I, I think that can mean a lot of things, and I think it will mean different things in different times of history and in different cultures but I think all of it simply boils down to the things that we do that are centered around getting the gospel out. I, I, I would list the several that are very, very obvious. One is giving to missions. You know, when you give to missions, Pastor, I already mentioned it tonight, that when you watch a video like we just watched and you, you see, you know, I've been for years, you say, I've been for years giving. And, and by the way, for many, I know that the giving is very sacrificial. I know that a lot of people don't just have a lot of extra money... ...and they say, yeah, just throw that in, it's all extra. Many, many people give very, very sacrificially... ...and have been doing it for many, many years. And here's the blessing of that. The blessing of that is watching up on the screen... ...and seeing what God has done with the missionaries... ...that have gone to the field... ...based on the money that you've given in the missions offering. That's, that's really what it's all about. And so when you give to missions you can remember those two little words, that little prepositional phrase. And you can say, hey, the gospel is going forward and the the ministry of Brother Benefield's ministry in Cambodia is being enlarged. And then you can tack on two little words, by me, by me. That's what it says, the gospel came to you and now it's gonna go even further by you. So that is money, but I think more than just money and maybe even more importantly than money is your prayers, is your prayers. And, uh, you know, prayer is, is such an important thing that I think oftentimes it's one, of those, it's one of those disciplines in the Christian life that because it is done mostly privately and because it is, is something that is not a real concrete, tangible thing, like when you read your Bible, you can hold the Bible and see it with your eyes. And when you go to church, you can shake a brother's hand or you ladies can give a hug to a sister in Christ. And when you give the offering, you can feel that money in your hands. You can shed a tear as it leaves your hands into the offering. All these things. These are all tangible things that you can see happening in your senses. But what, what really happens when we pray uh, especially as, as, as is our custom, as we close our eyes when we pray to m- eliminate the distractions and focus our minds and our hearts on God. And what are we doing? Well, to the world, we're just like like crazy people. Why? Because who are, who are you talking to? You know, we're just closing our eyes and we're talking and it looks like we're talking to ourselves. And I, I, I guess some people just, maybe prayer isn't real enough to us. But I can tell you that according to the word of God, most of the efforts, you could maybe even say all of the efforts that we do that are not accompanied also by prayer and by a, a beseeching of God's throne for his power and his favor and his mercy and his, and his grace in our lives. You know, most of those efforts I think come to naught. And what that means is that it's not really enough to just put money in the plate for a missionary. We need to be praying for the missionaries too. And so that when you give and when you pray, you know what you're doing? Just pick up that little prepositional phrase. The gospel is going forth and going further by me. And then the third one, the third prepositional phrase is found in verse number 16. And it says to preach the gospel in the regions. And here it is. Beyond you. Beyond you. That's also a preposition. Beyond and so first we see that the gospel comes to you, and then the gospel goes out by you. And why is that? It's so that the gospel can go beyond you. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things, and I hope no one will take it more harshly than I mean it. I'm going to say Americans, not because Americans are the worst, but because that's who you are and that's who I'm talking to. Americans can kind of be kind of self-centered sometimes. It's not just Americans; Cambodians can be too. It's human nature. We can be very self-centered. I want to encourage you: don't read the story of the ninety and nine that were left, so that Jesus could, go, so the shepherd could go and find the one. And then, if we're not careful, we go, "Yeah, look at that. I'm I'm really super special." Hey, let me help you something. You are super special. Every single one of God's children is super special, and God has an amazing ability. To love every one of his children as if they were the only one. I, I truly believe that, and that's a great thing. But we better not go, oh yeah, he left the ninety and nine, he came after me, and then we start then discounting the value of the ninety and nine. We have to understand that the ninety and nine are also important. If you live in a neighborhood of a hundred houses, God doesn't only care about your house and your family. If you live in a subdivision with a hundred families, uh, don't just thank God and bless God and just uh, 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 be so excited and so happy that God saved your family. Oh, do that! I'm not saying don't do that. Do that. Be thankful. Be grateful. Come to church. Uh, learn to have a happy face and praise God and, and learn to be thankful to God for all that He's done. But also realize that there are people beyond you. There are people beyond your family. There are people beyond the coast of this great land. And, and we can love America, and we ought to love America, but we need to realize that all around the world there are people. I'm, I'm afraid that too often it's easy for us to look at other countries where we don't understand the language, we don't understand the culture. Sometimes they seem kind of backwards. And, some, and we can start to almost look at some people groups as less than human there is no people group that is less than human. All humans matter to God. God made all of them, every country, every tribe, every language, on every continent. God loves them. God cares about them. And we ought to understand that the gospel is intended for those that are also beyond us. We we, we cannot get into this mindset that I'm looking around and my family saved so I'm good. Well, well, what about your neighbor? They're somebody's family too. And uh, we have a church, and, and our people and our, we have a church we have a Christian nation, which we really don't, but some people think say that we do. I know the background and the, the establishment of it was on Christian principles, but we can look around and say, "Well, we're good here. The truth of the matter is there are some countries, as your pastor mentioned, who have hardly heard the name of Jesus Christ. You think about some of the countries. I know that you all know uh, Brother Johnny Esposito very well and his focus, uh, he always talks about the 1040 window. Lots of missionaries talk about the 1040 window. Most of the world's population lives in that little window of space on the world map and many, many, many of them have not. I was just three, four months ago out so winning it was right around christmas because we were i remember it was right after christmas time and i was i was in an alleyway it was the smallest alley that i've ever seen in cambodia and i've seen a lot of small alleys this one was so small that you could you wouldn't even be able to ride a bike in this alley because the handlebars would would get stuck in the alley it was that small and i i only knew that alley was there because years ago we had a lady start coming to our church She had aids and eventually died of aids Uh, and she we first led her to christ in that very alley so somebody asked me to go see somebody or go visit someone they pointed out an alley and they were shocked that i knew where it was i said i know that alley they said okay great so i go down in that alley and i sit down with a a family it was a, a couple of adults i think like a mother and son and I sit down in this house and their neighbors start showing up. And when I say neighbors, I'm talking about like what you would think of as the next bedroom down your hall. Because that's what this alley is. It's just little itty bitty rooms where people, there's about five or six down this alleyway. And uh, people came from about three or four different houses. Pretty soon the whole floor of that little shack was filled up with people sitting down. And I began to talk about Jesus. But you know what shocked me? It shouldn't because it's happened many times. But it's still always shocks me. When I stopped just a few minutes into witnessing to them and I asked them all how many of them had ever heard the story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins. There was five at that time sitting listening. Not one of them had ever heard the story. Not one of them had any clue what I was talking about. By the way that's why it takes a little longer to lead someone to Christ in some of these countries. Uh, You're not starting with somebody who already knows a little bit. You're starting with somebody oftentimes who knows nothing and so nobody, they, they didn't know Christ at all. And I'm just simply saying to you that we can easily get in the mindset that, hey, we're, we're good, we're saved, our family's saved, but the Bible says that our place in God's plan is to know that the gospel came to me and then the gospel's going to go out by me and it's because of the people who live beyond me. We've got to understand that God desires to reach all over the world God desires to reach into every nook and cranny. God sent His disciples, He sent His church out into the world and He literally left no stone unturned when He did that. You know that what He said was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's another uh, verse of that that talks about the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm just simply saying that there's a world beyond us. Be very, very careful That your life doesn't get so filled with the good things of life and the activities of life and hobbies and, and even the stress and the work and all of these things. That pretty soon we forget that there is a world beyond you. There is a world beyond me and there's a world beyond our shores. I'll close with this illustration. Several years ago, probably six or seven now, shortly before our last furlough there was an accident, uh, an automobile accident in Cambodia. It was just right across the river from where we were living at that time, the house you came to, Pastor. And uh, in fact, if the the buildings weren't there, we could have probably seen it happen. It literally happened on the road that's on the other side of the river, but there's buildings that would block the view. That road and many roads in Cambodia, as your pastor's already alluded to, people drive a little crazy, and this was no different than any other day. some very rich person in a very big kind of fast, new, flashy SUV was traveling real fast down one road, and most of the people there are on little motor scooters, and uh, they ran head-on with a, with a guy on a motor scooter, killed him instantly. I read about this the next day in the paper, and so they, they uh, you know, wrapped up the accident scene. I'm sure they impounded the car. I don't believe the driver of the SUV was hurt. The other man was instantly killed. There wasn't a lot of waiting around for anything. It's just take this one to the Watt for cremation and inform his family and take, this one can go home, take this one, take this car to the police station. And uh, they fixed up the scene and everybody went home. It's actually not that uncommon of a thing over there. But in the neighborhood, there was a woman about a couple hours later and she was missing her nephew, 19 years old, I think, 20 years old, and she was expecting him home from work. And so she went down and she checked at his place of employment, it was a big hotel right down the street from there. And she asked and they said, oh, he, he went with uh, his friend and they called his name. And uh, she went and checked in with that friend. Well, that friend was the one who had just died. So when she found out that that friend, she said, my nephew was supposedly with this man on the motorcycle. So now she's really confused because she hasn't heard anything. And she went to the police. She went down to the place of the accident and he's just gone. There's no way. So she began to think that, well, maybe they said at work that he went, but maybe halfway home he got off and went somewhere else. And he wasn't. That's, that was her hope, of course. Nobody could find him. The next day... There's a, there's a rich house with a big uh, fence around it, a guard shack and everything out front. The next day, the security guard working in that guard shack noticed something dripping from the ceiling and went up and checked. And long story short, he found a dead body up on the roof. And uh, there was blood, of course, dripping through and down. That's what notified him that somebody was up there. They called the police to come back police came back, began to take pictures, began to write up a report. And they said that from the condition of the body, they felt like that the death had not been instant like the other one on the motorcycle, but that the person had just recently died like in the last couple of hours. Which what that meant was that he had been thrown up onto the roof and was very, very seriously injured, bleeding of course profusely and literally bled to death and died over the night while lying on the roof. You can imagine the horror of the aunt or anyone that would have known them or anything like that. But the police went, this was all in the newspaper story, the police went to the door and talked to the people who lived in that house. They said, we're trying to figure out how we missed this other body. Well, it's not that hard to miss. He flew through the air and it happened so fast no one knew. He flew through the air and landed on the roof. But they began to ask the people in the house did you hear anything? And they said, well, they said come to think of it, last night we did hear some noises outside of this window that overlooks this guard shack he said well what kind of noises and they said well we heard like moaning and they said we heard they we heard like crying soft crying and moaning and he said why didn't you go check it out and they said we didn't know what it was we thought maybe it was an animal we thought maybe it was a ghost that's big over there that belief We didn't know what it was we thought maybe it was the wind we 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 heard it but we just didn't know what it was we didn't bother to investigate and so we just left it alone you know when i read that story i began to think of what a perfect picture of the third world and the first world you know in our world it's almost like there's been a big you could go back to the fall of adam and eve and say that was the big head-on collision that threw men and women all over the place, mortally wounded by sin. And yet some landed in places that no one knows. Some landed in places that no one sees. Some weren't immediately seen as help came. Some didn't, no one knew where they were and what they needed. And, and, and I think that's a perfect picture of so many places in our world where there are people literally lost and bound for hell. They're dying in their sin, and they are hurting, and they are crying, and they are literally dying. And here we are. Maybe we hear a noise now and then out the window. Maybe we watch the news, and we see a little story about an earthquake or about a flood or maybe about a civil war in a country that we can't pronounce the name, and we just kind of go, oh, they're such savages. Oh, I thought it was an animal. Oh, I thought that was the wind. I I didn't know what that was. And I'm just simply saying to you that we've got to wake up and understand that there is a world beyond our little world. There is a world beyond our little reality. There is a real world full of real people who have real problems and real hurts and real heartaches and are real sinners and are on their way to a real hell. And when we realize that Oh, God's been so gracious to me. The gospel came to me. God, why? Why did you let me live here? Why why am I not there? Why am I not on the roof? Why are they not living in my house, going to my church, sitting in my favorite pew? Why? The gospel came to me, so I am determined that it's not going to frustrate God's grace by me being ungrateful, ungrateful, or, or, or lackadaisical about it. But I'm going to say, God, thank you that the gospel came to me. And now what can I do? Who can I tell? What can I give? What prayer can I pray? What trip can I go on? What, what encouragement can I give? Oh, can I give my very life itself? What can I do that the gospel would now go forth by me Because it's not just about me, but there's a world beyond me. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.